Welcome to the Financial Heart Space Podcast. 30 minutes or less of transformational stories with extraordinary people doing ordinary things that inspire us. I am Martin Coward, former Fortune 100 wealth manager turned prosperity mindset coach, helping gay, transgender, and bisexual men, entrepreneurs, and business leaders cultivate a prosperity mindset, clarify their purpose, and enjoy making money doing what they love. And today I'm so excited to welcome Gareth Higgins to our show as our guest today. Gareth is an author. He's just written a book that's, that's fantastic. He's also a fellow Mankind uh, Project Warrior brother of mine. I just recently met him. And uh, he is on a mission to change the world, to make it better through storytelling. Gareth, thank you for joining us today. And please tell us a little bit about how you got here. Well, thank you, Martin. Thank you for having me. Um, your question is a really interesting one. Tell us a little bit about how you got here. I'm going to answer that in an unconventional way um, uh, that, may, that I think will answer what you mean, although not what you said. Okay, that's <laughs> So here's how I got here. I think you might have got got here in a, in a similar way. There, there was a time when I was um, completely secure, totally safe. I had no sense of questioning, no sense of skepticism, cynicism, or anxiety. I was absolutely warm, bathed, perfect temperature. I was in a cave. I was surrounded by liquid. It was like being you ever been in one of those um what do you call them those isolation chambers that they have in high-end spas these days where you get it you get into the the water and it's all dark um what what are those i can't remember what they're, they're called. called immersion tanks yes yeah um and uh, and they're supposed to deeply relax you well there was a period in my life where that's all i knew um i i had no before and no after i was just in one of these absolutely glorious immersion tanks the the liquid that was surrounding me was so perfect that you could even breathe it and um every now and again i would hear this lovely music coming at me from outside the wall of the cave and i didn't know what music was i just found these sounds pleasant and then one day all of a sudden without any warning at all all the water rushed out of the cave extremely quickly. And I was turned around and thrust down a tunnel. Now, I didn't even know what a tunnel was. And I don't know if this is how it happened to you, because for some people, they didn't go down a tunnel. For some people, the, the, the roof of the cave was cut open. And these Godzilla hands came in and grabbed them. But I got thrust down a tunnel. And the longer the tunnel got, the narrower it became. And I started to feel like I was suffocating. And up until this point, I didn't even know suffocation was possible. And just at the last moment when I thought I was going to die, I was launched out of the end of the tunnel into this bright light where there were these monsters, giants standing around me. One of them grabbed me by the legs. <laughs> Another one took out this pair of scissors. It was the first pair of scissors I'd ever seen. And they cut the cord that connected me to the soft, gentle security of the cave. 
and then they placed me on top of this mountain <laughs> that would gently rise and fall and rise and fall and it'll come as no surprise to you that the very first sound that I made <laughs> was <"Wah!" laughs> it's a pretty terrifying experience um that's how I got here uh and uh, the reason I I say that in response to your question is because I think being born is is probably a lot like dying and the experience if any of us had been conscious of it and I know there are some people who who believe they remember being in the womb I I don't have those kinds of memories but if we were conscious of it and somebody told us hey you can choose to tomorrow be thrust down a tunnel and feel like you're suffocating and come out into this total insecurity and 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 risk and risk and not know what's going to happen next or you can stay inside this lovely warm cave filled with no self-consciousness at all just joy and security i think lots of us would probably choose to stay in the cave and of course Ever since somebody introduced me to this idea of thinking about it this way, I've pondered it a lot. And yeah, there are times when I want to go back into the cave. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I've come to the view that actually that's what sleeping is for. That a third of our lives, eight hours a day, we are actually invited to go back into the cave and to experience the security of surrender to whatever might happen there. And um, and some of us have sleep disorders. I have a sleep disorder and it's being treated. And there's some people with very terrible sleep disorders and God bless those folk. And um, I, I don't wanna be disrespectful or insensitive to anybody who has a hard time sleeping, but at its best, sleeping is like a return to the womb. And the waking hours are like being expelled from the womb. And no matter how difficult your life has been, I think in our highest selves, we wouldn't choose to go back into that predictable security and exchange it for the unpredictability of what we call life. That's the kind of mythic answer. The more mundane answer is I'm from Ireland. I, I live in North Carolina. I'm back in Ireland on sabbatical and I'm here because our mutual friend uh, thought it might be good for us to have a conversation about fear and storytelling. Yeah, I love that. I love the analogy. I, I completely agree. You know, what makes me think, I love the thing about this, about sleeping. I do think that's an opportunity for us to go back into the womb because we, we do, we do go into a world of, of being, of, of being, of dreams and being, we, have, we may have nightmares, but there's, there's, there's not, there's a, a, not a sense of fear. And I, and I, and this, what it comes down to is that when we wake up in the morning, it is like I, when I wake up, with what Ken Wilber calls the gross state, we're really we're really in that physical body, and it's it's not it's not comfortable. We're, we're in the hard edges of ourselves, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that's why I always tell people that the first thing we do in the first seven minutes is to get back into that higher level of consciousness that's mm -hmm. that feel that has that same experience. Mm -hmm. And so, because we, well, I think we do all wake up as we as we're just born into the world. Like, oh my God. This is this is all kind of harsh and hard, and I'm not good enough, and I don't know how to I don't know how to, to navigate all this. And the truth is, by ourselves as a, as a one single little body, we're not enough. Mm -hmm. We have to tap into that gigantic uh, creative energy force that we are, 
to mm -hmm. breathe. And that's what we did. So I love that. That was beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, it speaks to me about the fear of death, the death that's coming to us all, you know, that we're all aware of, and how if we can transform our fear of death, even just a little bit, you know, uh, one of the things I want to be really careful about when I talk about transforming fear through the stories we tell, it can be another, it can be another thing to beat ourselves up with to say, oh my God, I'm still experiencing all this fear and I haven't changed enough yet. There's something else for me to feel guilty about. Let's say hello to Randy who just joined us here. Hello, Randy. As Bella, so glad you could join us today. Thank you so much for, for being here. It's great to have you on as our guest. And I mean, as our, as our, I guess, as our, our part of our audience today and tuning in. So thank you. And if you have any questions for me or for Gareth, please, um, please put them in the chat. And thank you so much for being here. Yeah. So if we can, if we can transform our fear of death, even a little bit, I think it actually starts to unlock our fears of everything else, because, you know, all the spiritual wisdom traditions uh, that the world has ever known, say, say versions of the same thing. Right. And, and, and that is, uh, don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, which I think is another way of saying, like, don't worry about your death, which is, you know, coming tomorrow, maybe, to, maybe literally tomorrow, maybe 50 years tomorrow. Uh, and do do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, or don't do to other people what you wouldn't want them to do to you. All the spiritual wisdom traditions of the world agree on these things. Exactly. Um, Let's just say hello to this face. I don't know your name, Facebook. We're glad you're here too. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's unless great. your name actually is Facebook user. Unless your name is, but I, I just want to lie. If you got to go in and you got to get, you got there's, there's a little link somewhere near the video here. This live action. Yeah, where you can actually go in and you can get StreamYard permission to show your name. But, but, uh, it would make life very inconvenient if your name was Facebook user. Um, you know, so it'd be very confusing. Right? It would be very confusing. So I think if we can transform the, the the fears we have through the stories we tell and start with the fear of death, um, it can unlock a whole lot of uh, just like joy, gratitude. And blessing in in life. I was reading yesterday that the literary critic Harold Bloom uh, translated the the word in Hebrew for blessing as more life. You know, and so when we say bless you, or we ask for a blessing, what we're asking for or giving is or wishing for the other person is more life. And it may not mean we get more life as in another twenty four hours of breathing. But this moment that I'm in right now, I might expand. You know, I can hear an airplane uh, out my window and uh, and I'm looking at you and I'm looking at my desk. There's three three things just to begin with that I can claim gratitude for. I claim gratitude for travel, for pilgrimage, for all the times that I've been able to go places and connect. Um, uh, I, 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 I claim gratitude that somebody that I didn't know three years ago introduced you and me uh, and that we're getting to have this conversation right now. I claim gratitude for the comfort of the chair that I'm sitting in. I love that. Hello, Richard. Dowling. Stop for a second. This, this one, yeah. Richard Dowling for joining us. And we'll get back to our conversation on gratitude. Richard, so glad you're here. Glad you could join us today. Um, I want to just say something about gratitude because you just made me think of something. When I'm in, when I'm in, when I am, and I've spent a lot of my time in, in, in somewhat elevated senses of, of gratitude and consciousness, and I'm really happy for that because I've been years of practice. 
And often what you're doing is like, I, I went for a walk this morning. I'll say, turn up the gratitude knob. Mm. Just look mm -hmm. around and, and just turn up the knob mm -hmm. and see how much gratitude you can really experience in this moment. Mm -hmm. So I consciously actually see myself turning the crank up and say, oh my God, look mm -hmm. how beautiful these bright green trees are today. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful to be alive. And all of a sudden I get this feeling similar to what you described being in that room. And you know, if you're, if you're in a place where gratitude seems impossible or it just seems out of reach, bless you, you know, yeah. that's where you are. God that's where you are. And I respect that. And like, I'm not going to coerce gratitude out of you, but I want to hold space and show you I'm here for you for whatever I can yeah. help you with right now. Um, I think that we're dealing with, shall I say a little bit more about fear? And, and, Absolutely. and I, I, Yeah, I'm going to let you, you run with this. You're doing great. This is perfect. So I grew up in a society where there was a lot of fear. Uh, and, and, it, and it was because there, there was a lot of violence and there was conflict and people, a lot of people hated each other and there was threat and actual violence a, a lot of the time. And people dear to me suffered. My family was directly affected by the violence. Some terrible things happened. And on the inside, in addition to these external threats that were that felt like they were coming at us, on the inside, I had fears to do with the fact that I was growing up in a deeply homophobic society, deeply homophobic politically, culturally, and in terms of religion, and navigating what it is to be a child and a, and a teenager who didn't know what my sexual orientation was. I, I knew that I, that I wasn't, uh, that I didn't fit within the, the parameters that uh, the society seemed to prescribe for me. And I was confused and had these questions. And the only answer that was, uh, that kind of came my way from the culture was, there's something wrong with you, right? Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with you. Sin, uh, psychological ill health, or even demons. You know, I, I, I was around some people who thought I was demon possessed. Now, I've come to the view that you don't have to have grown up in a society like the North of Ireland or uh, to have grown up confused about your sexuality to identify with the notion of external threats and internal fears. Everybody has something like this. Uh, and I'm sure you want to welcome the. the Welcome, Randy. Yeah, I don't, hey, Randy, uh, Pastor, don't you think the world puts so much fear of death? And if you're not, I think when you say the world, I would say we we do this to ourselves. The world doesn't do it to us. We create these narratives of fear. Mm -hmm. And I'm, that's what I'm going to say. And, and whether you're Christian or you're not Christian, I think every every religion, it, when it gets into dogma, is create, it controls by fear. And we create narrative based on fear to control people. That's what I think. Now, I don't know what Randy, what Gary thinks, but that's my take on your question. Well, I, I think part of the question was also, you know, how might you help move towards security of not being fearful of death if you're not spiritual or Christian? And I, I think it's, I, you know, I, I know plenty of Christian traditions that, that, that are very afraid of death. And that's why I think they've constructed kind of a simple ticket to we take away the fear of death by controlling people through conversionist narratives now that's not all religion it's not all christianity i tend to think that religion politics and the media are three terms that are neutral 
you know, there's there's healthy religion, healthy politics, healthy media, and there's unhealthy versions of all of them as well. And Absolutely. the way I assess it or evaluate it is, is it moving toward, does it expand more love in the world? Now, love is not something that just goes on a Hallmark greeting card. Love is extending yourself for the sake of others. That's what love is. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of love I'm talking about. Um, the, the love, and that doesn't mean martyrdom. It doesn't mean I never get anything in return. That's that's kind of there can be an egocentric martyrdom thing where we I think we all know people who just are always giving 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 but they would never receive their that you know you can never give them anything in uh, return. There's a flow here of interdependence where I bring my gifts and share from those resources to serve the common good, and where I am honest enough to look in the mirror and say, here's the place where I lack, where I have need. Can you help me with this? And I think for, for for a lot of people, actually, naming that we have a need is the most is the most frightening thing we can do. That is the most vulnerable to say, "I need I need help with this." That's right, especially if you're a certain kind of man. Actually, there's a, there's a kind of a, a macho thing, and this actually leads me to uh, uh, want to talk to you about a. <clears throat> You know that there are anti-heroes and there are heroes and anti-heroes. Yeah. There are mentors and anti-mentors as well. And sometimes anti-mentors teach us maybe as much as mentors do. And one of my anti-mentors is Rambo, right? Uh, the Sylvester Stallone character from the movies that were mostly popular in the 80s. Because I think Rambo's on to something, but he's mostly wrong, right? I think he's one third right and two thirds wrong. And this came from another friend of mine uh, uh, recently who, who, who said to me that we've, we have misdefined what courage is in our culture. We've misdefined what a hero is. Our, our archetypal hero stories in our culture today are usually either big, strong guy, either with powerful weapons or supernatural powers, destroys everything in his way in order to protect some vulnerable people. Sometimes there aren't even the vulnerable people to protect. Sometimes it's just big, strong guy, destroys everything in his way in order to get a prize for himself, right? I think that's most of the time. Most, yeah. Um, and we never ask questions about all the people who got destroyed in the way to protect these other people. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, the joke that's often made about the original Star Wars trilogy is what about all the what about all the non-union workers on the Death Star who got blown up in order to kill the Emperor, right? Or to kill Darth Vader. Um, <clears throat> uh, my friend was saying the true heroism is the act of creating safety for people more vulnerable than me. A deeper form of heroism would be the act of creating safety for people more vulnerable than me without harming anybody else. And the deepest form of heroism would be the act of creating safety for people more vulnerable than me without harming anybody else and also maintaining a, a commitment, a radical commitment to fiercely loving myself. The reason for this is uh, should be obvious, but it's not. Um, how many times have you seen a vulnerable person who's, who's down on themselves or has low self-esteem or is being highly self-critical and your heart goes out to them and you say, 
you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you shouldn't feel these things about yourself, you should love yourself, right? We've all said that to other people. Who do we find the most difficult to love? It's usually ourselves that, that we find most difficult to love. Well, why would any of these vulnerable people who we're trying to help, why would they believe us that they should love themselves if they can see by looking at our lives that we don't love ourselves? So even if you don't feel like doing it, it's actually in the interests of protecting the people you care about for you to make some efforts to love yourself so at least they can see how to do it. So well, here's, the thing, here's the thing about thinking That's really beautiful because I... I really do think practicing the art of self-love is the key to living a life of love and prosperity. That's right, and it's a gift to everybody else around you. It's a gift to everybody because you know, what who, it is, who, are the, who are the people you most want to spend time with? Is the people you can't, that love you can't anyway. You cannot give away something you don't have. So That's right. for, for me to give you my love, I have to love me first. Yeah, yeah. It is the absolute opposite of narcissism. That's right. That's absolutely right. This is different to narcissism because like narcissists, the most heavily narcissistic people are the ones who are most difficult to be around. Now, the degree to which any of us opens up and takes one step towards self-love, that's enough to open the door that, you know, for me to go, great, we'll work with that part. We'll work with that part. You don't have to, you don't have to fix this overnight. Right. So the reason why Rambo is an anti-mentor, by which I mean, he teaches me how not to do it, is that Rambo actually does care about vulnerable people. You watch the movies, especially the sequels. The first Rambo movie is actually kind of an interesting movie about a, 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 a veteran of the war in Vietnam who's living with PTSD. It's actually quite a, a reasonably sensitive movie for its genre, but all the sequels are about Rambo scorching the earth all around him and killing everybody who gets in his way in order to protect vulnerable people. So he's a third of the way to being right, which is he cares about vulnerable people. The problem is he doesn't take, he doesn't make any effort to minimize harm <laughs> to the people who get between him and the vulnerable people. And he certainly doesn't love himself. So the thing I wanna say, and if this is the only thing I convey today, I think there are a lot of people out there, all genders, all ages, all the cultures, at least, that I'm connected to, I can't speak for every culture, of course, who think that they are weak and ineffective and who compare themselves negatively to somebody like a Rambo archetype because they don't have the big physical strength or the power of this heavy artillery. However, they do care deeply about the needs of vulnerable people. And they would be prepared to make sacrifices to protect those people, to help create safety for those people. And they're certainly often committed to uh, radically auditing themselves for the harm that they might be doing to people too. So I want to say to those people, because I think I'm like that, or I'm more like that person than I am like Rambo. Yeah, sure. if, if you care about the needs of vulnerable people and you're trying to take steps to minimize harm, and you're more willing to die than to kill, you're actually two-thirds of the way to being a more enlightened Rambo than Rambo is himself. Rambo's only a third of the way there because he wants to care for vulnerable people. He just hasn't taken any steps to minimize harm, and he doesn't love himself.
And I feel like some of the more tender warrior self-sacrificing folk need to be in conversation with the more Rambo types, many of whom really, really do care about vulnerable people. They really are fearful for their families and for people they care about. We need to be in dialogue with each other about changing the tactics, reducing harm and loving ourselves. Mm -hmm. So let, let's let's play with this a little bit. This is a very interesting question. Aren't we missing the gay old male heroes? If not, who are we? I always think we start with ourselves. <laughs> when we're trying to call, solve a conflict, where, are, where, for me, where was I missing the gay male hero in me? Where were, why wasn't I able to love Martin? Mm -hmm. And when I discovered that I am my hero, then I can be a hero for others. So I would say we're not we're not seeing because we're not seeing the hero in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to find the hero that's missing in your life, find the hero in yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the first beginning, because once you see the hero in our, we see the hero. I can see the hero in Gareth. I see two heroes right now, one gay man and one bisexual man, because I know the hero in me and he knows the hero in him. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just trying to show you, we, we all have a narrative in our side of ourselves that we're not the hero. That's a false narrative. We are the hero. And when you find that hero in you, it's called the hero's journey. You have that hero in you. And when you discover that, you'll see it all around you. That's my take on that. What would you have to say about that? Yeah, totally echo that and i would also want to add any person who who uh, identifies as any any part of the lgbtq plus community and who lives in a society that is anything other than 100 percent affirming of the lgtb lgbtq plus community which is pretty much every society in the world there's hardly any society in the world that is 100 percent fully affirming and inclusive there's there's studies that are moving in that direction Anybody who's in our community who lives with even one percent more authenticity uh, than they than than they did yesterday, one percent is it is her, that is heroic because that's that's a form of caring for the vulnerable person in you. That's a form of making space for tomorrow for people to, to make it easier for people who are coming up tomorrow. I think about the the people who the first open gay rights activists in Northern Ireland in the 60s and 70s, the courage that that took. And I don't know that they thought that they were being courageous. I don't know that they thought that they were being heroic. I certainly think they were, and they made my life easier. And hopefully my generation does things that makes the next generation's life easier. And I think another thing just about heroism in general, every now and again, somebody arises on the public stage who we can look at and go, yeah, we, 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 I see it. I see courage. I see self-sacrificing uh, commitment to the common good. But I think for the most part, these are people who are not known publicly. They're in small communities right around the country and around the world. They're not necessarily issuing press releases. They may not be widely known, but they have made a difference in their community because they've, they've captured a vision for a safer and more compassionate world and have chosen that no matter what anybody else does and no matter what politics or religion says, I am going to lead with love no matter what the consequences are. Yeah, I think that I, I want to, that, that, is, that is beautifully articulated. 
Um, yeah, there, there is Harvey Milton back in the public world. Uh, and I agree. I, I mean, he is, he is a, he was a visionary way before his time. And he, I don't think that he thought himself as a visionary. I think he just was, was angry that the way people were, gay people were being treated. So he mm -hmm. was acting up like we did, when, when, like we all did when AIDS came around. We acted up because I didn't think of myself as an activist, but I was angry that the government was just ignoring the fact that my friends were dying of AIDS and they didn't care about it. Mm -hmm. So I got out in the streets and acted up about it, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's, we didn't think at the time of ourselves as being heroes or activists, but every single person that got out, got out and marched and fought for and did on the AIDS and the lesbians, and everybody else who came in behind us, they're all heroes. All of them are heroes, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. but all of us are heroes. You're a hero. We've got a few minutes here. How can people get in touch with you? If they want to get to know you, they want to know about your book. Mm -hmm. um, Two good ways are uh, hownottobeafraid.com, hownottobeafraid.com. That's the name of the book. And garethhiggins.net. It's my personal website. But uh, I want to say something about the title of the book, if I may. And absolutely, yes, absolutely. Love it. Not to Be Afraid is not a book about how to stop feeling fear. Because fear is inevitable and necessary. It helps us. It helps us see something that's important. And sometimes it saves our lives. You know, especially if it tells us don't walk too close to the edge of that cliff. That's where it saves our lives. But maybe most of our fear, certainly a lot of our fear is unnecessary and unhelpful. And it's up to us to learn practices to transform these fears into doorways or portals that will bring us into more life. Thank you for listening to the Financial Heart Space Podcast. 30 minutes or less of transformational stories with extraordinary people doing ordinary things that inspire us. My name is Martin Coward, and if you are a gay, transgender, or bisexual man, please join our Facebook group, Financial Heart Space for Gay, Transgender, and Bisexual Men. Thank you for listening.